Hi, I'm Jennifer Love of the Living Wealthy Institute, and this is The Nature of Money Show. My mission as a money therapist is to empower leaders to end what I call emotional poverty and to grow their internal net worth right alongside growing their investments and businesses, ultimately to live wealthy. I'm excited to share these stories with you. And so subscribe right now to The Nature of Money wherever you find podcasts to get episodes as soon as they drop. Are you backed up with unprocessed emotion? And did you know that those emotions get stuck in your body? And what do you think that's doing in your life? And what's the impact on your finances? And that's what we're here today to explore. We're going to explore all of this, the signs of when you need an emotional colonic and what happens when you get one. And I have three special guests today. Tyler Lowe, Dr. Ann Shippey, and Dr. Mario Martinez comes back and joins me again. And let's dive into Tyler's story of getting unstuck. Tyler Lowe is the CEO of Return on Ideas, which is a digital marketing agency for think tanks and universities and thought leaders. And they turn complex ideas into entertaining content that your audience actually wants to engage with. So I love that. I've been working with Tyler. They're really good at what they do. And um, their work really focuses on measuring impactful digital experiences that make you and your ideas stand out. So Tyler is a client of mine, and I've been working with her to develop her leadership and grow her business. Here's Tyler. So Jennifer, you remember when we did our intensive last spring, I I really wasn't sure what to expect for our session, I guess. And then when, you know, we sat down, you know, you basically start asking these questions like, um, when were you the hero? You know, when have you tried to save people? When were you the victim? When did you feel like you were, um, you know, you know, basically, you know, put upon, you know, how, what are the ways in which you're downtrodden? And then how have you been kind of mean and bossy to other people? Um, you know, it's just really um, comprehensive looking at all of these different questions, looking at all these times in your life and getting really clear about, oh, I, oh, that it, it's just like, this is what there is for me to own in the middle of this, um, you know, kind of unearthing process. I um, open an email and I, I like to look at houses, you know, just for fun. But I open this email and I'm looking through and like scrolling through the pictures and I'm like, this this feels like it's my house. And then I ask Jennifer, like I ask you, you know, is it weird that I feel like buying a house in the middle of this? Because this feels very weird to me. And then you say, oh, no, it's totally normal. <laughs> when women go into this kind of discovery and they go this deep, you know, like certain things become really clear. So I basically started the process of you know, buying a house, which I closed on about a month later. Um, But then also this week, my grandmother got COVID and then she, um, she passed away. You know, like the weekend I went to go look at the house and was deciding to put in an offer. Um, So it was this really, really intense period of 
like there's so much good happening, but there's so much, you know, that's really difficult happening. You know, I was finally seeing that, oh, I can have the life that I actually want. You know, it's like I'm about to list my, um, you know, my my condo, you know, that I was moving out from. And, um, you know, like there, there'd been a little issue, like the um, the tub hadn't been draining quite properly for a while. I had, And then there was just one awful day, again, the day before the, the listing was, was going to go up, where the toilet stopped up. And I was trying to plunge the toilet and it was not, but like then the bathtub also like there was, there's an awful lot of, um, (laughs) there's an awful lot of stuff coming up where you didn't want it to come up. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's also a, you know, two bedroom, one bath, like not a very big place. Um, so you, like I needed a working bathroom. (laughs) So I'm I'm just trying to like, you know, because I'm I'm also you know my you know my client work doesn't doesn't stop. You know, I was like trying to go out of town, and you know record, but just everything. All, and then like I had this, and of course I called the same day plumber that, you know, didn't make it out that day because they never do. This <laughs> like twenty four hour period of just utter. Um, I call it. I'll call it chaos. <laughs> no, no, nothing that needed to work, um, you know, was working. <laughs> There's this this kind of perfect storm of, oh, I'm I'm in my own way. Like I literally have, you know, all of these things have been, you know, kind of, you know, accumulating and accumulating and accumulating in my life. Um. You know, this was, you know, me doing work and, you know, work was about fixing other people uh, instead of adding value. Um, you know, there's just these, I don't even want to call them habits. It was more deeply ingrained than that, just sort of a, a way of relating with, um, with work and with my life that was like, okay, I'm going to like go all in. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to fix it. You're going to have to need me. But then, like, I'm always sick. <clears throat> I'm overworked. <clears throat> Nobody likes me. <laughs> um, and uh, also, I'm working harder than everyone else. I'm the boss. I'm in charge. I'm always in charge. <laughs> What's wrong with these people? Because they're not acknowledging how in charge I am. <laughs> Why does nobody like me? <laughs> I also, I hate people. I hate people. I don't need them. I can fix it. And that they, they ha- well, anyway, it, go, it went on from there, but you can see how that would not lead to a very productive, um, you know, working relationship if that's kind of my, my default way of operating. Um, so I got a lot of clarity around the ways I was doing that in particular. And uh, again, kind of literally as well as metaphorically overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that, that was that was clogging up my life. Truth is that we all need emotional clonics from time to time. Everyone, including me. <laughs> so what are the signs? Well, burnout. Burnout is a big flashing sign. And you just feel like you're just so tired. 
you're tired, you're exhausted, and you're overwhelmed, and you're like, I have been at this for a really freaking long time. Why am I not further? Why am I so tired? I just don't want to keep doing it like this because this is just too hard and it feels like too high high of a price to pay. In other ways that this is expressing itself, I mean, I'm going to get into a few physical things here. Constipation. Constipation is such a signal that you are holding on to that shit inside of you so tightly that, yeah, it's just literally not coming out. Maybe you've got headaches or neck and back pain because you're holding on tight. Like you're engaging parts of your body to hold that emotion so tightly for you that it's then literally creating and manifesting physical symptoms of pain. Or maybe like when you get to the end of your day, you're like, I'm so done. I'm checking out. And you use things to numb out with like alcohol, maybe a glass of wine or a whole bottle or food. Maybe you're restricting food or maybe you're binging with food Um, or drugs of some sort. Or maybe you're just like working two nights a week and drinking two pots of coffee a day. Kind of like me back in my 20s. Just so that you don't have to, to face yourself. So that you don't have to, to feel anything. Like you're just keeping yourself so busy so that you just don't even have to look or feel anything. Or maybe you've gotten yourself into some addiction. We've talked a bit about addictions through this season, like debt, you know, compulsive spending. Maybe you're a shopaholic. Or maybe you've got some avoiding behaviors. They're like, nope, I'm not going to deal with my finances. How much money did I make? I f- I, I'm not really sure. What are my expenses? Hmm. Let me check. So we're just avoiding what's happening, what's true, what needs your attention. Or maybe you've got an incredible amount of resentment built up and you just feel so bitter inside. Like if someone tapped you, you would like shatter or you would like become enraged. You're just so resentful. You're carrying so much shit around the world with you. And maybe you're even blaming others for it. Turning back to Tyler, what has this change been like in your life? What started to happen when you got unstuck? You know, there are all these ways I would tailspin. Uh, before pretty quickly and dramatically and had 
you know, a lot of moments where I felt like going into a tailspin. And it's, it's, it's like stopping myself before I even got started because I, I also felt like I was going to die a lot. You know, a lot of things in just day-to-day living would be very triggering. Um, so, of course, that kind of bred this, okay, I just, I just need to make sure I'm safe. But then it's also really hard to stay safe. Scarcity mindset was very tied up in fear and, in particular, terror, you know, and, and staying safe. But... I got it packaged up so that, you know, it was, it was just disguised beyond all recognition. You know, this like really basic psychological thing. Um, you know, again, just always feeling really, really scared. Um, you know, you go to really, really extreme measures to keep yourself safe if you're really scared, but you know, the things you're scared about are, you know, vague and I, I don't know, it's just really powerful to, to get that, that intensity of, of fear dialed down um, back to the emotional, <laughs> emotional clearing part. Then I could actually make the choices that were prudent and rational. How do you make prudent decisions? How do you, you know, not, not speculate, but how do you invest, you know, including investing your time? And in relationships in a in a prudent way, um, but it's, it's basically just not being stuck, not being paralyzed. That's been the the biggest change. Heard from Tyler here, you know, kind of a, about her fear of the future and how that really took her away from her ability to be able to make healthy risks until she started really saying, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute here. Let me actually take a look at some of this stuff going on for me. Let me get an emotional colonic and confront some of what's happening. Yeah, well, I've had clients over the years that have worked with me in this very kind of deep way that they come out the other side saying, I feel like I just had an emotional colonic. God, that was really, whoo, boy, that was really stinky and that was really tough, but I feel so much better now. I feel so great. I feel like liberated. And, and that's what an emotional colonic can be like. You can feel like that. Um, and so I wanted to bring that into this space because Sometimes this shadowy type work can be like, I don't really want to do that. I really don't want to do that. I really want to avoid it. I want to, like, I've spent my whole life trying to not do that, Jennifer Love. And it's often because we think that it's going to be so hard. And the truth is that it's not that hard. It's uncomfortable sometimes, but it's really the avoiding, it's the the anticipation and the angst and the buildup of actually just doing it. That's the worst. The doing it part's not so bad because what you experience on the other side of it is so much relief, so much release. And yes, some of that release is a little stinky. 
<laughs> um, it's it's actually become a little bit of a humorous thing, like an insider insider community kind of a joke that it's all about getting that shit out. And we talk a lot about shit in our community. You know, I, I'll even say, is that a shit fuck damn moment? Did you just have a shit fuck damn moment? And they love it because we have something where we don't have to take ourselves so seriously about. We can bring some humor and levity into <laughs> all of this stuff that we're up to, to really like set ourselves free and get unstuck. So many of us have heard of getting colonics. You know, we go in, we meet with a hydrotherapist and, you know, they stick a tube up our butt <laughs> and insert water and out comes all the shit. And much like physically where we need support sometimes because maybe we're getting a colonic because we had a surgery or we've had some kind of medical issue or we have some nutritional imbalances. But the truth is that we also need support moving the emotions through us because sometimes our emotions get stuck in us for a variety of different reasons. And so an emotional colonic is about moving that through you. It's about composting it. Because our emotions do affect all of us in a variety of different ways, including physically. In fact, our emotions are affecting our, our digestive system. And the colon is where the body stores waste products that are really ready to be eliminated through us. We have this really sophisticated system, our digestive system. And we have a very also sophisticated emotional process for clearing, but so many of us just never really let ourselves go there. And the research is suggesting that we store different emotions in different parts of our body, including our colon. And so energetically, your liver, for example, is like, it's a very fiery organ. And the ascending colon adopts some of that fire. And that when that fire is really hot with anger, that, that part of your colon, that ascending colon is taking that on. Or in most people, for example, your trans transverse colon is positioned from right to left across your midsection. And generally for most people, I'm included, I'm raising my hand, we feel anxiety in our stomach. And this is because our gut and brain are so closely interconnected that any imbalance that is happening inside the gut is also going to be reflected in both of those organs. And so therefore we're moving anxiety through those different parts of us and it's staying stuck if we're not moving it out. And then there's our descending colon which travels down the left-hand side of your abdomen from your ribs over to your hips. And this part of our body is strongly correlated with feelings of sadness and loss and fear. And physically, the descending colon, it really is one of the last parts of waste that will travel through, you know, the stuff will travel through, our shit will travel through before leaving your body. 
And similarly, feelings of sadness and loss and fear can also be so deeply rooted inside of us that they're the last emotions that we cleanse through the emotional process of an emotional clonic. And just like clonics are a great tool to assist emotionally so that we can have this physical release, it's also helping us move the emotional toxicity that hasn't been processed through us. So what I'm saying here is you got to feel all of your feelings. You've got to really allow yourself to digest what it is that you're having without judgment, without inhibition. Yes, being responsible. But when when we allow ourselves to digest in the moment, it doesn't get so intense where we where it's much you know, uncharted, unsafe waters because of the level of intensity and repression of the emotion, that's when it can get dangerous to be irresponsible with. But when we are processing our emotions and digesting them in the moment, well, have what, you know, (laughs) freedom for expression here. Truly feel all of your feelings in the way that you know how, in the way that you've been given. Because otherwise, it's kind of like eating or taking a bite of an apple and then chewing it and then swallowing it. And then it's like moving down into your stomach to break down. But then can you imagine never pooping that out, like the waste of it out? What happens? It's creating a super toxic environment that ultimately will kill you, literally. And similarly, if you're experiencing anger, but you shove it down and you never let yourself fully process it and digest it, it will also eat away at you and eventually it will kill you. It will kill your spirit and it will kill you through your health. Stress kills. Anger creates stress in the body. And it will kill you eventually in some way through your body as well as through your spirit. Let's turn to Dr. Ann Shippey for her insight here. Dr. Shippey is a friend, and she's also a board-certified internal medicine and certified um, functional medicine doctor. Her areas of expertise include autoimmunity, neurology, gastrointestinal disorders, behavioral health, infertility, pregnancy, and toxicity. She uses cutting-edge science and research and genetic information to find and treat root causes of things for people, not just symptoms of illness. One of the things that I see every day is the effect of stress on the um, on the neurological system. So a lot of times what will happen is, you know, people will have some kind of trauma or very stressful events, and they kind of compound up to then shifting the state of the body into what I call limbic loop. So the limbic system is the part of the immune system or the neurological system that is about survival. 
And so when you've, when you've gone through something that you're, you really are just trying to survive, which actually happens quite a bit, right? You, you know, have a financial crisis or a relationship that's ending or a sick, um, you go through something with your health or somebody else does, um, you can get stuck there where your body is, you know, it's like the tiger sitting in the room and you're just, everything needs to go towards um, everything that your body's doing needs to go towards getting to safety, getting up the tree and not so much on restoring and repairing. And um, so that's all epigenetics. It's those genes. And some people um, have uh, genetics that really cause them to get stuck there earlier and more seriously where that's just where the body stays. And it's that, yeah, that epigenetic regulation of how the genes are being expressed to keep us there. And so we, we really have to be mindful of our levels of stress and pretty much everyone this last year, um, I think has, has dealt with something that's shifted them over into more of this limbic state. And so we look for ways of how do we get back to more neutral? And I love the research that's coming out on just simple things like meditation. And it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to be a Buddhist monk to get the benefits of, of meditation. And you don't have to sit there for hours. It can literally be 10, 15, 20 minutes. And it helps to dramatically shift what your nervous system is doing. We're really powerful creatures, us humans, aren't we? With an amazing ability to heal ourselves when we create the space for it. You know, next season, season two, I'm unpacking my own story of overcoming a life-threatening spinal injury through many things that Dr. Shippey is talking about here. It's so easy for us to get stuck, though, isn't it? It's so easy to get stuck in ourselves and to sink into what feels like a prison of fear. Let's turn to nature here for just a moment. Quicksand in nature. You know, it's deceiving. It's really deceiving. Because from the outside, it looks like, like on the surface, it looks like the quicksand is solid and like it's okay for passage. And yet a less than 1% change to the stress on that quicksand will cause a sudden viscosity like decrease. So it's gonna change its form, which is 1% pressure. And so after that initial disturbance, a person, for example, that's walking on that quicksand, that water and sand is gonna separate and then it's going to create these dense regions of the sand sediment that forms so that the person that walking is sinks and it's and that person's going to sink to the level at which the weight of the object is equal to the weight of the displaced sand and water mixture now technically it's impossible for a human to sink entirely like down below their or above i should say their waist However, if that person starts like really kicking and really panicking with that movement, that movement can cause the person to sink even further. And so where this becomes and the person really becomes impaired, where this becomes really dangerous, 
is when that person sinks to a level where they really are unable to get out. And then things like the weather, exposure to so like, you know, freezing or, um, you know, burning from sun or de dehydration or hypothermia, or maybe there's an animal that comes and heart, you know, harms them, the per that person that got stuck in that quicksand, right? And this is so, this is so what happens for us when we get backed up with all that shit that's just really stuck inside of us and is just not moving through. It's like, it's like the quicksand inside of us. It's just holding us in place. And then we're so, we're so like at harm's risk. We're so in harm's way for so many things to come and just take us out. And yet with a little help and a lot of relaxing, which allows you to release just like in the quicksand, you can end up laying on your back face up and begin to float. Begin to actually let that shit move through and out of you so you can float in your life. Because floating in your life makes your life feel a lot more joyful, a lot more easeful. And I brought in Dr. Mario Martinez because I wanted to talk to him about what really builds up over time and these emotions in our body. Again, Dr. Mario Martinez is a biocognition neuroscientist, and he has got some powerful information to share with us. So thanks for joining me today. So let's talk about shame. Shame, usually it's hot. It's a hot emotion. You notice when people are ashamed, they turn red, and, they, and, and that's actually the immune system responding as if there's some kind of pathogen out there. So it's red. Uh, it's and it's it's hot, and the feeling is a, a, a sense of you want the earth to swallow you, a tremendous embarrassment and a hotness because something has been done to you to really hurt your your valuation and your and your self esteem. That's a, that's a rea the, the way that that responds. And the body, the way it responds, is by the inflammation. And there's a high correlation, not a cause, but a high correlation between shame and autoimmune illnesses like fibromyalgia and different kinds of arthritis because they're very related to inflammation. So that is the kind of the, the, the structure of shame and different from guilt. Guilt doesn't uh, respond the way shame does. And, and I've worked with hundreds of cases of, uh, when I was in private practice uh, in, in hospitals also, of fibromyalgia, and I don't think I ever found one that didn't have a shaming component to, to the illness. Uh, so we do some really good work, and each, uh, the good news is each of the archetypal wounds has what I call an antidote to deal with it. But it cannot be done intellectually. You can't reason it out. You can't say, okay, I'm shameful, and this, it doesn't work that way. There's a technique that has to be done at the contemplative level for it to work. Well, shame um, causes a person to, to be less creative because they're afraid of being judged. So what happens is you begin to then acquiesce to things that are going on. <clears throat> you don't try to make too many changes. Uh, and you live in a way that uh, if anything good happens to you, there's a sense of disowning and there's a sense of not responding well because you don't feel worthy of good things happening to you. So in, in corporations and in, in, in businesses, 
number one, you have a lot of uh, uh, medical problems. And number two, you uh, tend to be more passive and less of a, an outlier because of the fear of being judged. So one of the consequences of shame is a fear of being judged. So you're very cautious in the things you do so you don't get judged. And what it does is it doesn't allow you to take chances. And you, you, you take mistakes in a very negative way. And, and the immune system is really bimodal. It's either empowered or disempowered. That's it. So what you present to the immune system is either empowered or disempowered, and that's how it's going to respond. Based on whatever, whatever reality you present to the immune system of the brain, that's how it's going to respond. It's going to give you whatever you, whatever you give it. In fact, you can look at it. Look how specific it is. You can have people, you can measure um, CD4 T cells, which are the ones that actually orchestrate fights with uh, antigens and, and, and so forth. And you can measure the level of CD4 T cells that a person has, how it correlates with their level of assertiveness. If they're assertive, their CD4s go up. This is work that was done by my mentor, George Solomon, with uh, uh uh, AIDS patients who the more assertive live longer because they have more CD4 T cells. So it's really whatever you present to your immune system, it's what it's going to respond to to a certain degree. You, if you look at yourself as a hologram, a hologram has horizons. They don't have uh, uh, boundaries or, or, or borders. It's horizons. And in that hologram is what you're creating. And one of the ways to show that you, we're really holograms is that when you, you look at the what's called the, the phantom limb, when a person loses an arm and they still have pain as if they had the arm because the hologram is still there, even though the, the, the body part is not there anymore. So we're holographic in that sense. So we learn from our parents what they do, not what they say. So if you see a parent that struggles and struggles and struggles, and no matter what they do, they just can't come out of poverty. Well, then that hologram is saying, there's a helplessness here with abundance, and there's a helplessness with uh, um, prosperity. And even though you say, well, I'm not going to be like my mother, I'm not going to be like my father, the moment that you get to a level that goes beyond what your hologram is saying, you begin to find turbulence, and you begin to find ways to sabotage or to feel uncomfortable, to feel guilty. People that win the, the lottery on, on, on an average, they keep it for 18 months because of that. Uh, so you have to learn to expand the horizons. By then, but then what happens though is if you expand the horizon, you're besting a very important person in your life. So there's some techniques that I developed to teach people how to come out of that. So, if, for example, say your dad never made it; he tried and tried and tried, and you said, "I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be like my dad or my mom." Doesn't matter. Then you start doing well, and without knowing it, you're doing well, but you're beginning to best someone who's very important in your life, who was a a a, a, a culture editor. And in order to not best and not shame that person, then you acquiesce and you go back to mediocrity or whatever it is so you don't do it. So the techniques that I've developed to actually, rather than besting, teaching people how to do it so they can honor the person when they do better than, than, than the culture editors. So those dynamics are really powerful, really important, and you can't intellectually get yourself out of it because you learn by observation, not, not what they tell you. But the important thing is that let's say you have a, a father who says, don't ever be like me. You know, I tried and I, I, I failed, but you're going to do well. What they're hearing is a pep talk. Uh, uh, it's, it's okay. You, this is, this is a cheerleading here. But what they're 
incorporating is the observation of failure after failure after failure. That's what the hologram picks up, not what you say. So you're not uh, you're not cheerleading. It doesn't work. Intellectually, you think you got it. But once you get to that point, you begin to see that what's happening here? Why am I having such a hard time when things are going well? Because you reach the edge of your horizons of, of prosperity or love or health, all three. Well, w- once we know that, how, because my work is very developmental, you have to look at where it came from and everything that you learn can be unlearned. But let's look at the worst scenario because theories have to work with the worst scenarios, not just uh, with, with, with people that are successful. Let's say that you come from a background that, that is very deprived and you really never had any models to, to, to live by. Your mother was the drug addict and your father was a gambler and there was nothing there. Uh, and you have learned a tremendous amount of shame. And for a while, you work and come out and become very successful. And you do, and, But then you start getting sick or you start losing your money or you start losing your relationships. And, and you start working on these techniques. But then you go back and say, I don't have anybody. I don't have any models. Well, the good news is that the model could be someone that you admire. It could be a, a movie star. It could be a rock star. It could be a politician. Not too many politicians there, but you could find some. Uh, and then you begin to uh, you begin to emulate the behavior of that person. You begin to embody the behavior as if you were that person. In the Jungian sense, you're creating the hero, or you're creating the uh, uh, the warrior, or 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 the mystic, or whatever. And that works just as well because you're incorporating a model that was needed earlier and you didn't get it. But if you had a, a parents that, that didn't succeed, you didn't get it anyway. Or you go into your family and you find outliers in your family. And this is what I do with longevity. People that are dealing with longevity and, and is not genetics. Longevity is only 20% genetics. It's what I found with hundreds of centenarians that I worked with. Uh, so what you do is you find that person that's a, as, as an outlier and that person doesn't have diabetes, or that person is not a uh, a failure. And then you look at what are the specifics that that person lives that are different from the other models, and you find that that's an outlier. You find that they're different. And you begin to emulate that person. You begin to incorporate and embody, and gradually your horizons expand by doing that. The way you give the brain evidence is by first embodying it and then doing it as if. There's an as if component to it. I'm going to act as if I'm already wealthy. And the behavior that comes is going to cause some anxiety. And the anxiety, what you do is you observe, you let it pass, and you go back and you start acting and you start acting. And what happens is that you recontextualize. You don't, you don't behavior modify. You recontextualize the meaning of the situation. And then your brain begins to accept it because the brain is very pliable. But you don't, you don't change the contextual meaning of things in order to change the neural maps and all these other things. So, for example, if you have a uh, – and we work with terrains. We don't change behavior. We change terrains that support the behavior. So, for example, you have an addiction, uh, and your addiction is cocaine. All right. Obviously, you can't tell the person, hey, look, give up cocaine because it's bad for you. Okay, I'll give it up. doesn't work. And you can't just uh, go into behavior modification kinds of things and say, okay, now how many lines are you doing today? Three lines. Okay, let's negotiate for two lines, blah, blah, blah. That's, that doesn't work because it may get rid of the cocaine, but it doesn't get rid of the terrain of low self-esteem and devaluation that the cocaine is allowing you to distract yourself with. And usually what happens, you give up the cocaine and you pick up eating or you pick up porn or you pick up because you haven't worked with the terrain to recontextualize the terrain. 
And that's the, that's the limitation of behavior modification. Even cognitive behavior therapy is limited. It has its place, but it's limited in making existential kinds of changes that actually give you uh, long-term uh, uh, sustainability. Yes, that's right. Dr. Mario Martinez nailed this here. The key here is existential change. And do you know what that is based in? It's what we've been unpacking all season, self-examination. That's where you can source your power, your transformation, your healing, right? So get that shit out. (laughs) I am a champion for moving shit through people because it creates a liberation, it creates a freedom, and it creates a wholeness, and it creates financial health, physical health, like mental health. It is so important for the fullness and the wholeness of your ability to live wealthy. That is the power of an emotional colonic. You know, I think the takeaway here is that when you feel stuck, you know, from one of the ways that I've already listed, things that are really good indicators that it might be time for an emotional clonic. Just pause for a moment. All right, there's so much power in the pause. And take a nice deep breath. And then get some help. Right? Schedule yourself for an emotional colonic. Thank you for listening to The Nature of Money, a show of the Living Wealthy Institute. I'm your host, Jennifer Love. Thank you for joining me. If you'd like support with identifying how your harmful narratives are blocking you from feeling worthy, valuable, whole, and freeing yourself and in your relationship with money, please book a discovery session with us. You can book that by going to jenniferlove.com and filling out a short and easy discovery form that helps me and the team prepare so we can show up and explore how to best support you. And will you take just a moment right now and give this show a stellar rating on the channel you're tuning into and then share this episode with someone who could really benefit from its magic. I deeply appreciate you.